Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Um, I'd like to just note we're in Titus. We're on the last uh, chapter of Titus. Next week, Pastor Gene and I will come together and we'll do a Titus Unfiltered gathering. Uh, the two of us will be talking about some of the things that I've had to quickly jump over and maybe are just a little more controversial and uh, worthy of some, some attention. What I want to do is start with what I've started every week, is that when you look at Paul's letters, he says, grace and peace to you, and in various forms, grace and peace to you through God our Father, through Jesus Christ our Savior. And this idea of grace and peace is that he wants to speak the loving kindness or the love of God, the grace of God, and the shalom or the peace or the fullness of God and the fullness of life over anyone who receives the words of these letters. And so we just start knowing that even when there's hard things to be said, that they need to be said in love and a desire for a person to thrive or a group to thrive. And so when we receive input, we're always automatically, we're just um, 10 times a second when we make eye contact with someone, we are weighing whether or not they're really concerned in wanting to be in relationship with us. 10 times a second, you are subconsciously asking, is this person concerned about engaging me as a fellow human being and a desire to thrive? So in this case, I love that Paul says hard things in his letters, but always opens with grace and peace to you. And maybe that's what you need to receive today, just like Marlon said that you just need to be spoken over, that God desires grace and peace in your life. Now, the end of chapter two speaks of waiting for that blessed hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so I believe like chapter three, if you're able to look in your Bibles or if you have your phones, you can go ahead and look up Titus three. He talks about what it means to live while we're hoping in Jesus Christ that space between Jesus' leaving and going up into heaven and his return. How is that we might live into the hope of Jesus Christ and how might we live in ways that are eager to do good? That's what chapter 3 talks about. But we start in chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 2. We start in chapter 3 with a, what could be an explosive couple of verses, right? Particularly if we're heading into another year from now, uh, a election season. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. This is the same advice he's been giving to old men, old women, young women, young men, to servants. He's just continuing the same thing. Consider what is good, be self-controlled, seek for people to thrive. But in this case, he's talking about rulers. 
I kind of joke about this um, with my father. My father is an engineer, um, so, you know, there's not a lot controversial about being a civil engineer unless you design a building that falls. Um, but being a preacher puts you in a situation where when you have a family gathering, what is it that they say? Don't talk politics and religion. Um, pastors are kind of screwed when it comes to that. Because my experience in family gatherings are, oh, so you're a preacher, so what do you think about what's happening right now? I mean, I've got it on both ends, right? Like, I, I'm coming, and suddenly it's like, how do I interpret what's happening in the news through the lens of religion, and, and nobody can win? It's okay, you can laugh. It's nervous laughter at times, right? So... Um, I had the opportunity when I was about 19 years old to be an intern with a U.S. senator. My original goal was to be in politics. Now I'm in religion. Um, faith. I'm just a sucker for punishment. Um, <laughs> all right, so I had the opportunity to work for Senator Olympia Snow, who was my senator from the state of Maine at the time, a Republican. These were amazing times in the 90s when people were reaching across the aisle and working together to get some things done. And at that time, my home state had produced um, the Senate Majority Leader, George Mitchell, who also went on to become the one who uh, brokered a peace deal in Ireland. Um, at the time, Senator Bill Cohen uh, was now uh, the Secretary of Defense, a Republican senator picked by a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, to lead the armed forces. Um, it was a powerful time to be like 20 years old and like on the front line and, and I was doing my part. And I had the opportunity to, to answer phones and, and open mail and work in her office. In, in 1996, Olympia Snow had voted against what was called the partial birth abortion bill uh, she had some issues with the way it was written. And so in 1996, there was a new movement to renew the opportunity to try to bring this ban about. Now, I haven't said much here, but I would identify as one who's fairly conservative. Um, but my experiences in this season has um, created in me a place that doesn't give me a real political home. Because what happens is, is I was a 20-year-old receiving the calls to a conservative senator who voted against something regarding abortion. And so I got a lot of calls from Mr. American Patriot or some title like that where they wouldn't give their name, but they would go on to let me know what they thought and what they would do if they were able to see me face to face. It, it was scary, and it was nowhere near as charged as it is now. And what I remember after hanging up, because you have to record every call to a senator, and it gets really awkward when there's no name, and then the aides that I'm working with would get the card that I gave the synopsis on, and it would become a point of mockery in the office, where someone who had really legitimate concerns 
by not giving their name and being personal about it instead of objective about the issue caused a breakdown in the office where even people who agreed with them on that issue would make fun of the people who would call. I think we just need to remember that the way that we speak to the powers that be and how we deliver our concerns is being watched by the people around us and by the people who receive it. And so if you do have a legitimate concern, I just want to encourage you, write a unique letter, don't make personal attacks, and just deliver the message in a way that you want it to be heard. It's just a helpful advice because you have to record every message to a senator and they have to respond. I will belabor the point here, but what I want to note here that I think is important about this, that I learned in that experience of working for a senator and, and looking at being in politics, is that Paul also says in Romans 13 that we're supposed to respect the authorities because they're not a threat towards those who do good. He goes on to say, do what's right, pay your taxes, be the best citizen you can possibly be. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got just enough libertarian in me to believe that maybe the authorities don't always do what is good. Maybe sometimes they can be a threat to what is good. Sometimes I do disagree with the decisions that are made. I don't like to pay my taxes, but I do. Do we think that injustice still happens? Sure. Does the government always honor those who are doing good? Probably not. But the blame cannot reside upon the follower of Jesus to not deliver in those areas. We are called to be the best citizens possible. Jeremiah 29 is one that people love to quote. It's what, verse 17 or so. I have a plan for you. I want to prosper you. But I'm always kind of the guy that comes along and says, but what about the verses ahead? They're in exile, and the Lord says, pray for the place that you're led into exile. Pray for the place where you are now currently slaves because your prosperity is tied to their prosperity. So I can't have a plan that prospers me from the Lord unless I'm doing these things ahead of time. The burden is on us to be the best possible citizens that we can be and let the verdict fall on the leadership. Now, I'm going to repeat this. That doesn't mean I agree with everything that an authority does when I offer respect back to a ruler. I'm pretty clear about the things I don't like. My Edward Jones guy knows that really well right now. They didn't pay me for that endorsement. But here's the deal. It also goes into our witness. The reason why we don't talk about politics at the dinner table sometimes is because we have family and loved ones who are on the other end of the spectrum. We have loved ones, we have neighbors that are not voting like us. And when I call them a democrat or a trumpeter, there's not much to hear after that. 
And that's a conviction. I never say anything on the stage that is not also like working in my heart. So I'm going to repeat this. How many times when somebody has called you a name that you're able to hear what's delivered after that? And so I just want to encourage you to be clear about what you believe. Feel free to have strong opinions. Just, just be careful because like... The minute I come out and I say that somebody's a baby killer, they're never going to hear what I have to say about my concern for the unborn. The minute I go on about something on the conservative end and, and then I have to deliver a message, they're not going to hear it. And our main motivation as believers and followers of Jesus Christ is to bring people into the presence of Jesus Christ and teach them what He is doing in our lives and how He is changing us. And it's really important that we don't do things to get in the way that become a stumbling block. People are already on the defensive around us. People are already feeling not safe. What can we do to soften the wall, to approach them in the spirit and give them a word of grace and shalom? All right, well, let's move into this next section here in chapter 3, because this is when Paul comes along and just kind of kicks me in the gut, because he says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I call this the yesterday you. Is this descriptive of the yesterday you. I don't know about you, but I really want that in my rear view mirror. Paul says, such as were you, this is the way we used to behave. And so maybe some of us need this, this set of words on our mirror to remind us that maybe we, we need to keep working at this place where we're hating or being hated. Maybe there is this place where we have to stop and realize that we are being foolish because we don't want to listen to input or wisdom. Maybe we're being disobedient because we know the right thing to do and we're not. What if we're being deceived and enslaved by passions and pleasures in such a way that we're sacrificing healthy relationships and right behavior at the altar of our desires? What about if we live in malice where there is a thought in my head that I really desire physical harm upon someone that I should be looking on in love? What about envy? Maybe I'm lusting after the material goods of my neighbor or even the, their loved one. What if I find myself with a feeling of complete hatred where I see someone in a store and it just causes me to go into a panic mode of anger and rage. Is this the yesterday you? I've been saying every week that salvation is not about that, just about the future, but salvation is for the present age. It gives us hope for the way that we're living now. And so I don't know about you, but I need this word to turn over the soil of my soul and reveal to me the places that it needs to be yesterday. This is why last week, 
it was so important that I was bringing out this fact that you need to be in relationship with other people because we have blind spots and we need loved ones to look at us and say, this is where you're going sideways. Let me walk with you. I pray and hope that those of you who were challenged last week to think about two or three people who would speak truth and love in your life, that that is an exercise that has been rolling out for you, that you've been able to begin to identify people that will speak into your life, that will point out places where maybe they see you uh, behaving in sideways ways, or that you can confess to them in the ways that you're going wrong. Are we open to the Holy Spirit convicting us in this way? Because we come into what I think is one of my most favorite passages in the New Testament and kind of the cornerstone of Titus. And when I said to Pastor Gene, let's wrestle with this book, this is the passage I've been waiting for. Because... When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, when the grace and peace of the Lord appeared to us, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, not because of the things we have done, but because of his mercy. Not of anything that we've done, but because of his mercy. He gave it to us, a gift. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. He saved us in the washing of rebirth and renewal. Some translations say regeneration. He saved us. He saved us through rebirth that moment when we turn towards Jesus, and he does an ongoing work in us of regeneration, of renewal by the Holy Spirit. Do you see the Trinity at work? This is one of the few places in the New Testament where the Trinity is being unpacked. God the Father, our Savior, the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He didn't just give us a little dribble he didn't just give us the manna just for today. He filled up our cup to overflowing that we, my, one of my favorite, my kids know this, one of my favorite things to say when preaching is that his grace and his mercy is in our cup so much that it's filled up that when we bump up against people, it sloshes out onto them. Oops, I'm sorry, I spilled a little Jesus on you. So that having been justified by his grace, we have been made equal. We have been set right by his grace that we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. We have become like brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ, full inheritance that comes from God, that hope of the life of the ages, not just of the future, but of this present age, eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. When I think about this passage, 
I was telling my wife, I've been trying to think of a way to give a good story on this. And I think I just, I don't have a specific story other than I remember the day that I turned my eyes towards the Lord. I was a young child and I knew I needed to make a decision to follow Jesus. But there's no way when you're young that you realize just what you're doing because the viciousness of life, the brokenness of life hasn't yet crashed fully against you. Maybe as for some. But I remember this kind of progressive revelation of the Lord at work in my life. I remember when I was 12 and I couldn't stop crying at night because the Lord had put the weight of his presence on me. I remember when I was a teenager, a junior in high school, and I had the weight of some ways that I had been behaving that was just breaking me down. And it was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to lash out at people, but really I was upset at God because God was convicting me that I was doing what was wrong. I remember my late 20s when I had tried uh, working in the workforce and running from the call to ministry, and the weight of the Lord was on me so heavily that it, it wasn't one that would just crush me and destroy me. It was one that was refining me and forcing me into making a decision to keep following Jesus. The washing of rebirth and renewal is a lifetime journey. It's not a one and done. Can I get an amen? <sighs> Praise be to God. That was some heavy thing, but it's a good thing. It's a trustworthy saying that we may be careful to devote ourselves to doing what is good because it's rooted in the good that we have received. He goes on to say that these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What's confusing to me is how he comes back to the craziness, but I don't think it's a mistake because in, in verse nine he says, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law or the word because these are unprofitable and useless. Churches don't squabble. People don't fight over theology online. It's not to say that some fights aren't worth having. It's just that, can we just like step away for a minute? So like, maybe that argument over theology online isn't the best place to do it because other people are watching and may be more vulnerable. Maybe because you've been a member of a church because multiple generations have been there and you're kind of fighting over the lineage of faith rather than thinking about the right thing to do. You see, Paul wants to remind us that we can go sideways, that such as you once were, then you experienced the Lord, but then we're just kind of tempted sometimes to not worry about the thriving of other people around us. And we just want to prove our point or defend ourselves or circle our wagons. And it goes on even to say, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and have nothing to do with them because they are warped and sinful and self-condemned. I told you the first time I started preaching, I don't like talking that way to people. But the reality is, is that when we're in conflict with someone who keeps coming back at you and there are lives at stake and a witness at stake and there's no reception of 
of correction, then you've got to step away. Paul says in Ephesians, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. And I believe it's not just the person you're speaking to, but those who are listening to you. And perhaps the reason why I'm so emotional about some of this stuff right now is that in my line of work, I just referenced, I, I get to go in and I get to talk with people about the exciting things about the future and what are you going to do different, what's innovative, what's the new thing you're going to do and how are you going to engage your community more. But then I deal with the conflicts. And I can't tell you how many times things go sideways when there's been an elders meeting and there's a joint decision and they're representing together a team and they make a decision together, and then one leaky elder steps out of the room and starts saying, well, uh, you know, it really didn't happen that way. And the vote was this way, but, you know, I kind of was the other way. There are so many instances where we don't realize that one person in our midst, whether it's a company, a family, or a church, that when they step out of what was even decided together and then defend themselves and their actions and not for the thriving of the company or the church or the family, there's an immediate explosion. And there are people who go up in the air in that explosion and they never come back down again. I'm trying to stay clinical here, but I cannot emphasize this enough, that when we get all caught up sometimes in these controversies and we're not able to hear the words spoken to us to step back, step down, back away, slow down, if we don't receive that, there are serious consequences that can happen to our community in, in whatever field you're working in. This isn't just for the church. Trust in the leadership of an organization can disappear in a heartbeat when that's violated. Let's not kid ourselves that that can also happen in a marriage, that in our one-on-one -on -one relationship with a loved one, and we agree together, and then I slip over to my guy friend, and I say, yeah, but she's a terror to live with. Janessa, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> the enemy loves a stronghold and loves a foothold and loves a place to see where there's a crack in the armor, a chink in the armor, and he will exploit that opening in the wall as long as he can. And what's such a blessing in what Paul models here is he ends this chapter in a beautiful way. He names people that he's in relationship with. He gives encouragement to specific individuals. He shows that he cares and he wants to help those who might struggle. And he reminds us that our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs of the community and the people around them and to not live unproductive lives. And he ends with what he started with, grace be with you all. I know that that's the heartbeat here of this community, 
that we don't do the good just because we want to do good and look good in the eyes of the community, but we have received so much from the hand of the Savior that we want to pour back out to the community around us and do what is good. And we want to greet people, even the people we see on the sidewalk today, with grace be to you, or in whatever words they need to receive it, and if they don't understand or receive the religious language. We care for you. We're glad you're here. It's awesome to be in your presence today. It's been a real honor and a blessing to be with you through this series. Thank you, Pastor Gene, for the invite. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family. <laughs>